you guys, welcome to the ad for my brand new podcast, The Missing Links. But before I can get into that, I have to give a huge shout out to the boys over at Anchor. Now, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the absolute easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's 100% free, so you can't really get any better than that. You know what they say? If it's free, it's for me. Second of all, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Now, being able to do all that from your computer is not too impressive, but your phone is an entirely different thing altogether. Anchor will distribute your podcast to all major podcasting sites for you so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. This the sky's the limit with this thing. I mean, you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which means you can have two people listening to you and still be able to make money off this thing. It's honestly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to give it a try, you can download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. But anyways, getting past all that, this is the ad for my brand new podcast, The Missing Links, where we talk about crime, serial killers, disappearances, and unsolved mysteries from around the globe. Now, if any of that seems like it might interest you, you should definitely check it out on Anchor or wherever you get your podcasts. It's going to be a great time. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of the Missing Links podcast, where we talk about crime, serial killers, disappearances, and unsolved mysteries from all around the globe. The Missing Links is written, researched, produced, and hosted by me, Ethan Bacon. In our very first episode today, we will be talking about a few different topics. From criminally insane doctors to a potentially possessed children's toy, we have it all for you on this episode of The Missing Links. Our episode today contains some adult themes and triggering topics, so viewer discretion is advised. Bruce Peter Reimer and Brian Henry Reimer were a pair of twin boys born on August 22, 1965, to parents Janet and Ron Reimer in the city of Winnipeg, located in the province of Manitoba, Canada. The boys were only six months old when Janet and Ron noticed an issue that they had while urinating, and were fairly concerned, so they decided to take the boys to the doctor to get a professional opinion. From there, the pair of twins were diagnosed with phimosis, a disease in which the penis's foreskin is unable to be pulled back to expose the head of the penis. During urination, phimosis causes the foreskin of the penis to swell up like a balloon, which in adulthood and adolescence can cause discomfort and pain while experiencing erections. It's safe to say that Janet and Ron didn't want their boys to have to endure this, and scheduled the boys an appointment for a circumcision on April 27, 1966. On the dating question, a urologist performed the procedure using the less-than-competent process of electrocauterization, which is when a doctor destroys tissue by using heat conduction from a metal probe heated by an electric current. Needless to say, the procedure didn't necessarily turn out how everyone had hoped, Bruce's penis was burned so bad that doctors had no way to surgically repair it. That being said, the doctors decided to skip his brother Brian's circumcision for 
obvious reasons. Oddly enough, Brian's phimosis cleared up soon without any surgical attention necessary. You might be asking yourself, does that mean Bruce's would have too? It's interesting to speculate these things, as it's a possibility that none of what I'm about to tell you would have ever even happened if Janet and Ron had just waited a bit before scheduling that circumcision. With Bruce's penis being burned off, Janet and Ron were quite worried about Bruce's hopes for future happiness and sexual intimacies without a penis. So, they decided to take him to John Hopkins Hospital, located in Baltimore, Maryland, to see a psychologist named John Money. John Money's notoriety was increasing as a pioneer in sexual development and gender identity, which was based on his work with intersex patients. Money was a big believer in the theory of gender neutrality, which states that gender identity is developed primarily as a result of social learning from early childhood and can be changed with the correct behavioral interventions. In February of 1967, Janet and Ron Reamer met with Dr. Money on the Canadian news show this hour has seven days, in which Dr. Money stated his beliefs that a penis could not be repaired, but instead a functional vagina could be put in place. He claimed it was safe and conventional, saying that it would be what was best for Bruce, even going as far as to claim that Bruce would be more likely to achieve successful functional sexual maturation as a female than he would as a male. But Dr. Money had motivations that were much more sinister. As a case where two twin boys were patients and where one could be brought up as a female would provide a perfect test for his theories. Janet and Ron, being fairly new parents, saw nothing wrong with this and decided to have the procedure done. And thus, just before Bruce turned two, he underwent a bilateral orchidectomy. During this process, his testicles were cut off and a vulva was fashioned. With that being done, Bruce was assigned to be raised as a girl, then being given the name Brenda. Money continued to see the twins every year to provide psychological support, consultations, and to assess the outcome of his little experiment. Now this is where things get fairly disturbing, so please listen with discretion. Raymer reported that Money forced them to practice sexual acts where Brenda played the bottom role. These sexual acts included thrusting movements, getting down on all fours with his brother Brian being forced up behind his butt with his crotch against his buttocks, leg spreading, being forced to disrobe and engage in genital inspection, and at the very least once, Dr. Money took a photograph of the two boys performing these acts upon each other. Upon questioning, Money stated he believed that, quote, childhood sexual rehearsal play, end quote, was integral for a, quote, healthy adult gender identity, end quote. As years passed, Money noted, quote, the child's behavior is so clearly of an active little girl and so different from the boyish ways of her twin brother, end quote. However, notes from a former lab assistant at Money's office tell us otherwise, stating that throughout their yearly visits, Janet and Ron regularly lied to the staff about the success of the procedure. Through their adolescence, Lamer was given estrogen to induce the development of breasts, whereas his younger brother Brian developed the mental illness known as schizophrenia. By just 13 years old, Raymer was having suicidal thoughts and extreme depression, stating to his parents that if he had to see Dr. Money again, he would take his own life. 
At 14 years old, on March 14, 1980, after receiving advice from Raymer's endocrinologist and psychiatrist, Ron and Janet told him the truth about his reassignment surgery. With that, Raymer decided to assume a male identity and donned the name of David. He went through many processes to reverse his reassignment, including testosterone injections, a double mastectomy, and phalloplasty operations. David Reimer was married to Jane Fontaine on September 22, 1990. David would later go public with his story, being published in magazines and a New York Times best-selling biography stating that he was, quote, teased and bullied by peers and neither frilly dresses nor female hormones made him feel female, end quote. Along with a difficult relationship with his parents and unemployment, David had to deal with the death of his brother from an overdose of antidepressants on July 1st, 2002. Things began to unravel faster for David, as on May 2nd, 2004, his wife, Jane, told him she wanted a divorce. The pressure and pain showed to be too much for David, and just two days later, on the morning of May 4th, 2004, at 38 years old, David drove to his hometown in Winnipeg, parked his car in a grocery store parking lot, and shot himself in the head with a sawed-off shotgun. And that is the end of David Reimer's story. And oh, what a story it is. However, the scariest part about all of this was that John Money was never prosecuted for anything that happened to the Reimer twins. Now, to be fair, this did all happen over 50 years ago, and I'd imagine that in this day and age, nothing like this would ever happen. Or at least... One can hope it wouldn't. But fret not, my frightened listeners, because on July 7th, 2006, at the age of 84, John Money died of Parkinson's disease. Taking a sharp turn away from the harsh reality of Dr. Money, our next topic today is something a little more supernatural. That's coming up right after the break. If you'd like to support me and this podcast, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash themissinglinks and become one of my patrons for as little as a dollar a month. You can always choose to pledge more than that, but nevertheless, any pledge at all helps me more than you can imagine. Thank you. During the early 1900s, in the town of Key West, Florida, there was a boy named Robert Eugene Otto, who belonged to a fairly well-known family in the area. In 1904, Eugene's grandfather went on a trip to Germany, and pulling that classic grandparent move, decided to purchase a souvenir to give to Eugene on his birthday. The gift in question was a doll that was around the size of a small child standing at three feet tall. Eugene was ecstatic and decided to name the doll after himself, and thus the doll was referred to as Robert, while he was mainly referred to by his middle name. Eugene was so happy to have a new friend to play with that he even gave Robert a pair of his own clothes to wear, which was a sailor suit, with a hat, of course. Like most children do with their favorite toys, Eugene took Robert absolutely everywhere with him. There was never a time Eugene was seen without Robert right there beside him. Eugene was often reported by relatives and staff of the house to be whispering to Robert, which was nothing unusual until they started hearing a deep voice responding back to Eugene. As years passed, it's said that loud and even sometimes violent noises and crashes could be heard from Eugene's room nearly every single night, 
Furniture would be flipped over. Toys were ripped to pieces. And when his parents came to check on him to see if he was all right, he was found on his bed cowering, absolutely terrified. His parents, absolutely shocked by the mess around the room, naturally asked Eugene what had happened. His response was but three words. Robert did it. Quite reasonably, the Otto family decided maybe Eugene was getting a little too much one-on-one -on -one time with his friend. So they stuffed Robert away in the attic. Now, it's said that the family member in question who physically put Robert in the attic more specifically, Eugene's aunt died the same night she put Robert in the attic, but that part's all speculation. Despite being stowed away in the attic, the Otto family still reported hearing Robert moving around the upstairs part of their house quite often. His footsteps would echo throughout the enormous property, even to areas that were absolutely empty. It's even said that giggling was heard coming from the attic late at night. Despite all the disturbing things that happened, Eugene somehow felt a connection to Robert and continued to keep him throughout his adult life. Anyone walking past Eugene's house reported seeing Robert disappear for a split second and then appearing before them once again. When Eugene got married, you better believe his wife Annette took one look at Robert and said absolutely not, throwing him once again back in the attic. Eugene didn't necessarily like that, and one day, Annette found Robert inside of the house's turret room. Upon questioning Eugene, he stated that Robert, quote, wanted a room with a view of the street, end quote. Eugene spent all his time in that room with Robert, painting and having conversations until he passed away in 1974. But that's not where this story ends, oh no. See, Eugene's will stated that his house be given to a woman named Myrtle Reuter. It also stated that she be Robert's caretaker. Over the years, Myrtle reported the same strange happenings that Eugene and his family had experienced all those years ago. Robert was often never found where Myrtle stated that she left him. Her guests, needless to say, didn't fancy Robert too much as they noted he would simply vanish at times and reported that his already chilling expression would contort when anyone talked poorly of Eugene. In 1994, Myrtle donated Robert to the Fort East Martello Museum located in Key West, which is where he still sits inside of a locked glass box to this very day. Now, believe it or not, that glass surrounding him is not enough to strip him of his supernatural abilities. Surprising, I know. Museum staff have encountered many creepy things, including Robert changing positions in his case, random footsteps around the halls, and Robert's expression changing in a split second. Museum visitors are advised to approach Robert politely and respectfully, even going as far as to ask permission for a photograph of him. All along the walls of Robert's display are letters from previous visitors containing apologies for how they acted when they visited Robert claiming they've experienced great misfortune, accidents, destroyed relationships, and even diseases and death in their family after disrespecting Robert. There are over 1,000 letters altogether, and the museum keeps every single one cataloged. If you want to visit Robert, you can, because as stated before, he's still at the museum to this very day. 
Just take caution and don't say I didn't warn you. Alright you guys, that is going to be everything for this episode of The Missing Links. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to close your windows, lock your doors, and most of all, stay safe.